Hello, and welcome to Wealthspire Advisors Beer Markets Podcast. I'm Bobby Moyer, and I'm joined once again with my colleague, Sandy Wiggins. Hey, Sandy, how's it going? Great, Bobby. Good to be here. Good to be here as well, Sandy. It is February 20th, just to put a little bit of backdrop, uh, Tuesday. Yesterday was President's Day. The market was closed. Uh, so we are back open today on Mon- on Tuesday after the bell. Um, you know, a little bit of volatility today in the markets. Uh, we Some earnings today, some big earnings tomorrow. We're going to get into all this stuff. But, you know, as we want to talk about this, why don't we talk about our beers real quick, open them up, uh, have a sip, and then we could get into the fun stuff of the markets. How does that sound? Sounds great. Let's do it. All right. So today I'm bringing um, one I have never heard of before, which after doing a little bit of research really surprised me how big they are. It is a brewer out of um, Asheville, North Carolina. It is called Highwire Brewing. Uh, They opened, I believe, in the summer of 2013, so they've been around a long time, but got offices or tap rooms and and different places all over uh, the Asheville area and down to Charlotte and Cincinnati and um, Nashville, I believe, many different cities. So this is an interesting um, new one that I just found uh, in the grocery store over the weekend. I'm drinking a High Pitched, which is a Mosaic IPA. Again, never had that. They define it as a balanced Western North Carolina IPA with bright citrus and tropical fruit aromas. Um, expect big grapefruit, tangerine, and subtle melon flavors uh, from the chorus of the Mosaic and Centennial hops to balance out the malt of this drink and drinkable ale. Um, so I'm going to open this and, and have a sip and see, see how it is. What do you got, Sandy? I've got Bell's Oberon. It's a, a summer beer I like and, you know, spring's around the corner, warmer weather's around the corner. So I figured I'd help push things along by uh, cracking that open. It is a uh, wheat ale, refreshing with bready wheat notes and just a hint of fruitness. So um, give it a try sometime. Yeah, I will. I, I like Bells a lot. I, I like their two hearted. Never had that one, but uh, something I'll, I'll have to give a try. And this one's pretty good on my first sip. And I guess I, I had the same thought as you with the, the grapefruit and the tangerine, kind of springy, summery, maybe not summery, but uh, a pretty good one to talk markets with. Yep, yep. The sun's shining, and hopefully uh, we'll, summer will be here, spring will be here soon. And this will also uh, usher in uh, an uptrend in the market. Oh, I'll tell you, I can't wait for summer. I'm, I'm over I'm over the winter. I'm over the cold. Uh, but I, I see light at the end of the tunnel. Well, Sandy, whew, a lot of places that we can start uh, here. You know, maybe I think touch on maybe briefly the markets. It's on one hand, outside of today, uh, has been a, a pretty decent start to the year. You've got the S&P 500. Um, again, this is as of Friday. We're shooting this on Tuesday, but the last open day of the market was last Friday the 16th. The S&P 500 is positive by just over 5%. Uh, this continues to be you know, a lot of what we saw last year, and that's a, a growth rally. Uh, the S&P 500 growth index is up almost 8%, or it was as of last Friday. You, you've got small cap. The S&P 600 is still negative for the year. The equal weight is only up 1.4%. You had interest rates moving a little bit higher this year, so the Barclays aggregate bond is down 2%. Uh, the NASDAQ is up right around 5% and pretty much in line with the S&P 500. Uh, so again, and the S&P 500 value is only up just under 2. Um, but we saw a little volatility uh, last week. Uh, but where we sit today, coming off a, a strong nine weeks to end the year, 
uh, it's it's been a pretty good start um, to the year, even though again we're we're seeing a little bit more, I guess, leadership from mega cap companies. Not all technology and those type of companies, more larger companies, uh, but still have some of these big outliers in the performance of of the large mega cap companies. Yeah, you talked about tech. Obviously, Nvidia continues to be a story, but you've also got Eli Lilly, which is an interesting story. It's had a really strong year up uh, almost 35% year to date. So that's not the typical uh, tech story we've heard. Uh, you know, the funny thing about, the fun thing about that is though, that's where I think there's the opportunity. I mean, you bring up a good point. I mean, you let these weight loss drugs, I, you know, I'm not a, a doctor, I'm not an expert on pharmaceuticals by any stretch, but it's it's a pretty remarkable results what some of these these weight loss drugs have been able to do. And and to some degree, even hamper the the fast food markets or the Pepsi's and Cokes and the the snack makers and that sort of thing. But I think this is what we look forward to from a technology standpoint in that new technology of pharmaceutical and the ability to help people's lives. Now, are pe- are some people taking this that might not need to, given the risks that we don't know about yet? Maybe, but I think there's a lot of people that are really benefiting from these and are preventing themselves from potentially getting, you know, other diseases out there that they're susceptible to because of their Diabetes. their personal yeah. right, exactly. So, you know, and these are still, I think, diabetic drugs. You know, and, and there's a big argument out there from the healthcare providers that they won't pay for these, so they're very expensive. Uh, but you know, it's we talk about artificial intelligence and the AI craze lately. There's a there's a big craze around you know companies like Eli Lilly and these other companies that are trying to get in this weight loss. And like you said, they're coming off a sixty almost a sixty one percent return in twenty twenty three, and and then to be up another thirty five percent six weeks into this year is pretty remarkable. Yep. And so let let's let's talk about the breadth of the market. That's something that we we look at. Uh, quite frequently. And and where I'm going with this is using the breadth of the market as an indicator of maybe the health of the market. We've got some, uh, you know, we've got a, a client question, which we'll talk about, about the S&P 500 versus, you know, other diversified types of indexes. But it really comes down to a very narrow market. Um, we talk about the Magnificent Seven as an example. So, Bobby, let's talk about what do we mean by we like a broader market? We like breadth in the market. Yeah, I think it's it's about seeing more companies do well and not be led by just a couple few companies, right? You know, you mentioned Nvidia up forty six percent. It is now I feel like the third largest company in the S and P five hundred. That and it was up two hundred and thirty eight percent in twenty twenty three. That's leadership. You know, Meta, Facebook is up thirty three percent. It's one of the largest companies. It's two and a half percent of the S and P five hundred. Those, you know, when you get leadership from a select few companies, but not a lot of breath from other sectors or other companies, you don't really participate and you question the health of the overall economy. You want to see more companies doing well, um, you know, producing well um, in, in contributing to the overall. And that's not to say every other company is not doing well. You know, I'm looking at a, a sheet in front of me here. There's, there's a company, uh, VTRS is the ticker. It's up 20% year to date, but it makes up 0.04% of the S&P 500. If that thing is up 100%, it's really not contributing that much to the overall portfolio, but it's up 20%. It's another stock in there. So when we talk about where the market leadership is, we're not saying that everything else isn't doing well. But when 30% of the S&P 500 is made up of six or seven companies, 
what those companies do really drive the overall performance of the market. And, you know, it one, it might skew what you think you should be getting unless you own nothing but those six companies. And I'm saying six because you, you said Magnificent Seven. Tesla Tesla's. was up 100% last year. It's only um, it's negative. negative 20% yeah. so far this year. Um, so that's just, I guess, further proof that there is no silver bullet out there. <clears throat> but again, liking just because, you know, a lot of these chip companies, AMD is another one. It's 0.6% of the S&P 500. It's up 18% year to date. It was up 128% last year. But even that company will have limited ability to add to the overall, um, you know, attribution of, of the S&P 500. Yeah, and so again, the concept of rising tides rises all boats. That's maybe not the case when you've got a very narrow market and and a few companies are really really doing well and impacting the overall return of the S and P five hundred. So what we're looking for is a broadening of that uh, that breadth. We saw it a good bit in the fourth quarter. It seems to have narrowed a little bit during the first quarter. Um, we're going to continue to watch that and and hopefully see it broaden out. And that does bring up a question that, that you and I have chatted about today that was posed to us by one of our clients. And um, I hear this not just from one client, but yeah, I hear we're hearing it, it from more multiple, and more. Right, right. right, And it's a great question. It's legit. Yeah. And, and the question is, should I just invest in the S&P 500 and forget everything else because it's been such a great place to be? And, and I think, you know, there's a, there's a lot of ways to answer this. And I'm not sure, Sandy, there's a silver bullet out there, right? As soon as everybody believes there's a silver bullet, there's probably not the right the right place to be. You should be, go the other direction. Th- that's right. I think the S&P 500 is a fine investment, especially when you're accumulating. But are you really willing to put all your all your eggs in the S&P? Maybe you're right, but what if you're wrong, right? And spe- age, you know, how old are you? And if you're a 70-year-old that's pulling money off their allocation, you know, I think Warren Buffett said it, just put all your money in an index fund. Well, I have a big problem with that. If you're, you know, somebody approaching retirement and doesn't have $50 billion like like Uncle Warren, what are you, what are you supposed to do if the market falls 50% and you're still pulling money and now a sustainable cash flow that you were pulling out is is now an unsustainable one because now you still need money to live off of because you don't have $50 billion. So I, I think one there's got to be some context around that. The S&P is is looks attractive today, but it wasn't so long ago that the S&P wasn't the best place to be. You know, you go back to the last decade. 2000, 2000 to 2009. 10-year period. And what did the S&P do in that period, Sandy? Basically flat. Negative, yeah. slightly negative. Um, but yet small cap, mid cap, international, international bonds, positive, right? The diversification mattered. And then, so the question then is, well, what changed? Well, the Fed, right? What did the Easy Fed money, do? Easy lower money, interest rates. Exactly. They, they went in and, and they made it, you know, better for growth investors. These large companies had a good business model. They had a lot of cash flow. So what did they do? I'm probably being a little bit picky here, um, but they went and they bought their competition up. If there was a, a smaller micro cap company that could have been a competition to them in several years, what did they do? They went bottom, so they weren't gonna be competition. And, you know, they were so small, so it wasn't an antitrust issue at that point in time. But what it also allowed them to do was diversify their revenues in many cases. You know, if you ask most people on the street, you know, and when I talk about the street, Main Street, what does Amazon do? What are most people going to say? 
you know, online shopping. E-commerce, right? Yep. Yeah, things show up on my on my door every day, and it's great. But they've got data. But AWS, right? Yep. You know, that is a big part. They've got the, the grocery store. They do. They bought, yeah, what would they buy? One of the, not, it, not Fresh Market, the other Whole one. Whole Foods. Whole Foods, I think, yeah, right? So they're diversifying. Apple, you know, bought, um, was a Blink or, you know, some of these. Um, the headphone. Uh, so, is it Sonos or one of those? Yeah, Sonos. Yeah, um, yeah they, so they have all sorts of you know, different lines. I mean, Facebook with Instagram, right? I think they own Instagram or, yeah. I, you know, I don't do Facebook, but um, I, I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure it's, you know, and then Google, YouTube, um, you know, I, I, Facebook has WhatsApp, you know, a, a messaging app for, so there's a lot more diversified. When you look at these large companies, they aren't just one company that do one thing and that's all they're good at. They do multiple things. Um, NVIDIA, they might do, I don't want to say one thing because they that would be Chips. simplifying their, their business, but they were very smart with their build out, right? They, they were in gaming, they were in blockchain or uh, Bitcoin mining. They, you know, are this generative AI. They're, they're doing all these things and, and being ahead of the game and being able to shift around. But the question that you have to come back and pose now, NVIDIA uh, is the third largest company, at least it was last week, uh, you know, it outperformed or outgrew Alphabet, which is Google, um, so it, it grew significantly. Larger than Amazon, I think. Right? Larger than Amazon, yeah. I think it's Microsoft, Apple, Apple and, and NVIDIA. Nvidia. Yep. Right. So you know, NVIDIA has been a, a great story and, and a wonderful stock, but at some point, what if? Right. What if competition gets big? What if um, chips? There's double ordering in these chips. I'm not to say that that, that NVIDIA can't go up another fifty percent. I don't know. It, it might. It just seems like it's really crazy to see these stocks move as significantly as they are and the growth targets they have. Now, was it first quarter last year? I think they announced earnings and the stock was up 20% and it was cheaper from a valuation point even after that because of where their forward uh, revenue was projected to be and earnings. Um, so they've, they've grown into this and they've earned it. Um, but, but this brings a good transition to Today's Tuesday, tomorrow's Wednesday the 21st, and NVIDIA reports after the bell. And it, it, this is exciting. This is real exciting stuff, Sandy. I'm sure you you can't wait to see it. But, I mean, the options market, I believe, has an $80 move one way or the other on this stock. Now, it's a $700 stock. It was down 4% today. Uh, but everybody's watching this stock, and there's a lot more on the, the bullish side than the bearish side, I believe. Uh, so it's something to look out on. Could this be, you know... You just need one earnings announcement. I know we didn't talk about it, but Palo Alto Networks, they were up 18% year-to-date. They were up 127% last year. No, that was AMD. Uh, Palo Alto up 24% this year, up 111% last year. They just reported five minutes ago, and their stock's down 14% in the after hours. So with these lofty expectations, and I didn't see the numbers yet. I have no idea what's coming out. They may have beat, and they may have beat and, and raised their guidance, but where the street wants these companies to get to, you have to really exceed on your earnings calls and not miss and continue to grow at these elevated levels to justify the amount of returns we've had. And that's kind of the risk to these markets. I'm not saying it can't happen, but when you get stocks bid up so significantly like this, eventually can you continue to grow at that level of this expectation? And if you don't, 
you could get punished. Um, and now NVIDIA could come out and surprise and, you know, go to a thousand on Thursday. I don't know. Um, but Palo Alto, great company. Cybersecurity's around. It's a big secular trade for the next, what, 15, 20 years, 30, 50, 100 years. It's one of the best, if not the best company out there. But expectations are real high. Yeah. And so, you know, stepping back to the question of investing all your money in the S&P, we, we talked about that lost decade, 10-year period. Historically, value and growth perform well over different time periods. So there's been a large cap. There's been a growth focus. Value will have its day. Mm -hmm. And in particular, small cap value can be very, very good um, looking at the longer term perspectives. You can also look at periods where emerging markets were really, really strong. You can look at time periods when mid cap was very, very strong. So we can data mine and find times in history where whatever asset class we're talking about has done well. Now, what we believe and promote is that let's not try to just data mine. Let's build a portfolio that it has components that regardless of what part of the market is doing well, we're participating in it. And there's also some downside risk given that particular client's risk tolerance. So, you know, it'd be great and easy if it were just invest in the S&P 500. You mentioned Warren Buffett, and obviously he's a fantastic investor. I'm not suggesting otherwise. But does he really just invest his own money in the S&P 500? No, he's the greatest active stock picker of all time. Right. So Maybe not true, but up he's there. He's certainly active. He's on Mount, he's, Mount, Mount Rushmore of the best active managers of all time. Yes. And so active management does have its place. Right. Diversification does have its place. Different sectors have their place. Large cap growth, technology-led has been the hot spot to be, and that's really what is making the S&P 500 look so attractive. Let's just make sure we keep that in the context of risk and return and long-term investing. Let me pose a question to you, Sandy. I'd love to get your opinion on this. Are some of these mega cap tech companies that we're talking about, Magnificent Seven, are they the new defensive play? And what I mean by that is these companies have great cash flows, they have Tons of fortress balance sheets. They have how much cash is on their balance sheet? Billions of dollars. So in the fourth quarter, these companies underperformed small cap, underperformed speculative tech. And why was that? Because interest rates fell, right? And normally that's good for growth and large growth. Well, these companies lagged small cap, lagged, you know, ARC is something we use to, to look at speculative investing, the, the ETF there. Um, so you had this less profitable stuff do better when interest rates fall, which is normal. And this mega cap tech stuff lagged a little bit. You saw more of the equal weight, the better, way better breath in November, December than all of last year. And But these companies that have a lot of cash flow, because they are so strong, they're making more money when interest rates go up on their cash on their balance sheet. They're, they're phenomenal companies. Now, I'm being a little bit funny with this, but that's almost how, how they trade right now. Yeah, it looks, it's got some characteristics of that for sure. Right. So if we do see lower interest rates, if we do see the Fed cut, maybe these mega cap companies aren't the ones that and benefit we, in that environment. Yeah. Maybe. 2022, a lot of these got smashed too, and that was a defensive year with higher rates. So it's not completely true, but there are elements of these companies being almost, you know, um, defensive yeah, to a nature. You, you want a safe place to put your money and get a decent return, large cap growth, tech. Especially these certain names, right? Yeah. Maybe not the rest. There might be there's other large yeah. growth tech that don't have the balance sheets and are more speculative. But it's an interesting thing that I've I've been putting in my head lately of, 
you know, they, they, they trade more defensive, like the old utilities than the new utilities do. You know, I would think people would rather have Apple debt than the U.S. government debt, right? They think Apple's balance sheet and company is safer than the U.S. government. I'm not saying that. I'm not making a recommendation one way or the other. But from a yield standpoint, it seems pretty comparable, if not better, um, safer to put money with Apple than the U.S. government. That's pretty defensive to me. Yeah, you know, I don't know if you're lumping Meta in there, in that in that group, but we can also play the other side of the coin and look at what happened to Meta over the last 24 months. Much more volatile. Yeah. And and may not be as defensive. It's maybe a little bit more speculative right now. So it's certainly a stock by stock, company by company um, analysis. But I I agree with you. You can you can see those elements of of safety. Um, in the behavior of some of these stocks, that's for sure. Yeah, and I think Tesla is to some degree more speculative when we talk about the, the, the you know, the, I think there could be unbelievable opportunity in what Tesla is doing. A lot of risks are associated on a lot of different fronts. We could do a whole podcast on it. Not interested in doing that though, Sandy. Um, <laughs> you know, Elon Musk is brilliant. We'll stop there. Um, so what else? What do you want to go to next? I think this was a good you know, talk about mega cap and, and growth and, and just continue to be diversified. There's still a lot of opportunity from a valuation standpoint. Let's go to valuation real quick. We're, we're in earnings season here. I've got some fact set data on earnings. We've got 79% of the companies in the S&P have reported earnings uh, so far this season. 75% have reported positive surprises six on the earnings side, 65 on the revenue side. This is a year-over-year earnings growth rate of 3.2%. Um, so, you, you know, when you look at valuation, what a company is worth, you look at PE, which is price on top, earnings on the bottom. That's why earnings are so important. It drives how expensive something is. If we look at, the, based on fact sets numbers, the 12-month forward PE, so what are they going to earn over the next month, next 12 months over, um, you know, earnings estimates um, over pr- or price on top, it's 20.4 right now for the, the S&P, whole S&P. Of the whole S&P. Yep. This ratio is above the five-year average, which is 19, and above the 10-year average, which is 17.7. I think if you were just going to read this sentence or what we just talked about, you'd say, wow, the market is expensive. What do you think? Do you agree with that statement? You know, on a quick reading the headlines, we might, yeah, it's over It's over its average, so it's, it's more expensive than less expensive. Right. Yeah, I think I agree with that. I don't have specific, you know, numbers other than to say at the sector level, information technology, we talked some of these companies are tech companies, their forward PE is 28 and a half. You've got consumer discretionary, which we know Amazon's a big, a big player there, is 24.9. So pretty expensive, right? Would overweight the average. Um, and energy is 11.8. So I think the point of this, and I don't have the numbers on XFANG, but FANG I think is, it's 19 and change. XFANG. Yeah. You're right. So more in line with the market, right? Yeah. Um, and I haven't seen some numbers even lower than that. And when that, you I say think. XFANG, you're talking about the magnificent, mag, that's the new Magnificent 7 or the old Magnificent 7, however you want to right. clarify it. So if, excluding if you exclude those, those, right. Which is a, a more healthy or reasonable look at the, the breadth of earnings for the S&P 500. Right now, we're in line with the average, excluding this, you know, a low overweight uh, of earnings from these seven companies. Well, yeah, I would, I would add to that too, Sandy. There's two points. What you said is, is yeah, how about everything outside of this that has lagged lately might be attractively valued based on their earnings? The other side of that is these companies that we're talking about, FANG, for lack of a better term, 
these companies do have accelerating earnings. They do have significant earnings. Maybe they justify having a higher valuation. Sure. I, I would think so. So I, you know, maybe we're a little bit expensive. I don't believe we're to the scary level. I think there's been a little bit of craze in NVIDIA. Um, it would be really hard to go long NVIDIA here. It's probably going to double tomorrow. But um, it's it just, to me, it's hard. I think mm-hmm. it's just been a wild, almost parabolic move in companies like that in this AI crazy. Microsoft to some degree, you know, Copilot and OpenAI and those sorts of things. I'm, I'm a little nervous there, but overall, I'm not too scared. We're not scared. way out of whack. I don't think so. I think some of its value... That's uh, my scientific term. Yeah, out of whack. Yeah, way uh, out of whack. Yeah. The, the last thing we'll touch on earnings, the last piece, you know, calendar year 2024 is always interesting to see what earnings growth is looking like. You know, where we sit today from a, an analyst projected earnings growth for all of calendar year 2024 is uh, 11% earnings growth. That would be a very strong, strong year. Now, fourth quarter earnings growth is at 17.6. That makes me a little bit, that seems really elevated to me for the fourth quarter. One, because I don't think that the vision's so clear four quarters from now, right? That's the least positive, at least um, clear. clear area. So you got three nine here right now, 9% for the second quarter, 8% for the third quarter, and then 17% for the fourth quarter. So that 11 is probably a little high. I expect earnings to come down through the year. But earnings growth of close to double digits for the year would be a pretty positive um, environment for stocks, I would think. Yeah. And, and, you know, related to looking out into the future, we wouldn't be complete without touching on interest rates. Yeah. And... PPI and CPI numbers that have come out recently kind of indicate that the uh, inflation battle may not be fully won. And that's obviously creating some of the volatility we're seeing today, for instance, in the marketplace. Well, the one thing, a good thing I think it did was it reduced the market's expectation of how many cuts the Fed's going to do this year, which we both agreed and spoke about many times was wild, six or seven cuts. We're down to somewhere around four right now. I think that's even two or three. Yeah. I think the market's at four. I think that's too much to your point. I think two or three is the right, you know, but the CPI number hasn't, doesn't have me too fear, too scared yet. Um, A little bit of elevation. There's been some, there's some anomalies in some of the non-seasonalities in January that has been proven out that they're a little bit higher. For instance, a lot of people are on insurance um, on, a, on a calendar year that it's being priced in now because they re-up this time you know, in a given year. There's um, There was some really divergence. I don't want to get into it because it's a little bit wonky from a detail standpoint on some of the housing number, owner equivalent rent and versus rent versus some rents out there and data just seemed um, way out of whack. And it's a survey on what people think they could rent their house for, even if they're not moving or renting it. So that, that part of it was a little bit off. Uh, so I'm not in the camp that this CPI number has changed the overall direction of inflation. I still believe inflation is going to continue to come down. Will it take a little bit longer? Maybe. I'm also in the camp that I think the Fed could cut. Um, even if even if we do stabilize or see it tick up a little bit, there's... Yeah, the consumer's strong, right? I mean, GDP's tough for the first quarter. We have the, the GDP now estimate, which is only just a model of what it could be. That We're looking at growth of 2.9. So the economy's doing all right. The unemployment rate continues to be very low. The um, There are cracks in employment that I think make me a little bit worried, but nothing significant at all. But 
the Fed is very tight, I think, um, right now. If you look at inflation, let's assume 3%, and they're at 5.25, 5.5, that's way higher than where they want to be. I, I have no question I think they could begin to cut rates in a healthy manner. Now, I don't think they're going to do March. May's, oh, I think there's a 30% chance, 35% chance of May. June might be a good time for them to go 25. But I really believe they're data dependent. And we saw last week on that CPI number how volatile the market is. And we saw big swings, you know, percentage points. It was the worst day of the year, I think, last Tuesday when that number hit because it surprised people and what the Fed could be coming. So I'm... there's going to be a lot of data coming out. I think there's going to be a lot of volatility, not even to talk about the election, which we don't need to talk about. Um, But I'm still in the camp that the Fed is going to be able to cut this year, not four times, I think two to three times. They'll do it around the election because they don't want to be thought as being political. Um, But I think inflation is still coming down. I think the PCE, uh, which is the Fed's preferred measure, I think what the the three-month annualized, you take the last three and annualize that, is under or right in line with their their target. So I, I think they're I I think they're gonna cut this year. I don't think March, but I May's a possibility in June and I support it where we are now from the data that's coming out. Yeah, I think one thing to watch is the PPI, the producer price index, which are the inputs for the products and services that, that we, we enjoy and, and if that ticks up a little bit more because we had a, a little bit of a hot number here recently, then that transfers into the CPI later on. So I, I'm going to be really curious to see what the next two two uh, PPI and then CPI numbers look like, and that'll give us maybe a little bit more clarity on what the runway is going to be through the rest of the year. Yeah, we've got about three or four weeks on those. PCE's the 29th, I believe, so next, what's that, Friday, Thursday. Um, so, yeah, we got some data. Uh, minutes, Fed minutes coming out tomorrow. Uh, you know, data-dependent market. We have so much more to cover, but, you know, in the interest of time, I think we'll – We'll go to wrap it up um, right here. But, you know, fun conversation, Sandy. Good beer. Hopefully summer's around around the, the corner or at least spring. Get some nice weather. Baseball season kicking off. It's, it's a good time of year. It's been a lot of fun. We'll catch up next time. All right. Take care.